Hey, Keto Freaks. In case you haven't heard, Richard Morris and I are turning the entire town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic in July 2017. Keto Fest isn't a conference. Conferences are for professionals. Festivals are for people. We will have some great speakers, yes, but also a pig roast, music, movies, cooking lessons, fitness lessons, bike tours, walking tours, and a whole lot of camaraderie among fellow Ketonians. Richard and I will both be there, as will many of our podcast guests and Facebook group admins. There's so much going on, I don't have time to tell you here. So go to ketofest.com and add your name to the mailing list so you'll know where to go and when in order to get your tickets. KetoFest, real keto for real people. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. In February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 70-ish pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 70 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. So this show is a document of not only my progress through nutritional ketosis, but Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind those. Uh, We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite the research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. So we share the great food we eat on this diet. Every episode, each of us shares a recipe for an essential keto meal that we eat on a regular basis. So, Richard, let's get started with episode number 29, TED Talks. (laughs) TED Talks. He certainly does. He does. Yeah, we're going to have Ted Nyman on here in just a little bit. But first, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week, Richard? Yeah, I have one. I said that the body makes carboxylic acid to lower the body's pH, but it's actually carbonic acid, which is uh, H2CO3. Uh, It's made by your respiratory system, and the concentrations of that are managed by your kidneys. Very, very good. So how did you do this week? Yeah, I've done well. I'm I'm actually on day six of a seven-day fast. A Zorn fast. A Zorn fast. I'm on I'm on a I'm on a seven-day Zorn fast. Yeah, I'm feeling fine. I went for a 20k bike ride today and my ketones at the end of that were 1.3 millimoles, which was outstanding. I felt I remember saying to Julie, I feel like a monk 
in a state of zen. Nice. I came back from this ride and I felt like energy was crackling from my fingertips. And I was- You know, I saw that in a movie once. Did you play the emperor? (laughs) (laughs) Let me complete your training. (laughs) 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 So- so I'm, but I, I, I felt outstanding, and I said to her, you know, I, I have not felt this good for a long time, and I think it's because I traditionally don't make a lot of ketones. It takes, mm. even if I do a three day fast, which, as you know, I've been doing once a month, yeah, um, I still don't make a lot of ketones. So um, mm. it, I, I really have to exercise for two or three hours. And today, I, I, twenty uh, k is about an hour worth of riding, but because I'd already been fasted for six days, it was. Uh, it, I, I felt great. I had my 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 glucose was down to three point seven. You know, in the old days, wow. my glucose went to three point seven. I'd be reaching for for some uh, some glucose to eat. So, and three point seven in American speak is what in milligrams per deciliter? Sixty six point six. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Now you say your ketones are low. You don't produce many ketones, but remember that's the ketones you're spilling. Yes, that's right. right? So I'm using a lot of ketones. So the the amount of ketones yeah. you have in in your blood. Uh, the amount that you make minus the amount that you use. So, um, yep. as you go longer on a ketogenic diet, you, your ketones tend to drop off a little bit because your body gets used to making only as much as it needs to make. Your body doesn't yeah. like to like to, uh, to to be wasteful with energy. So, um, right. And right. I know that uh, Professor Noakes, who uh, was in his trial earlier this year. Uh, what took his ketone measurement to make the point that a low carb diet doesn't cause ketoacidosis by taking his blood uh, glucose meter and doing a ketone measurement at the trial, wow. and he he was 0.4 at the time, and he said he said his range is 0.4 to 0.8 unless he exercises for two or three hours, and that's the same for me. So yeah. his his metabolism is behaving in exactly the same way mine is. So. Um, so that's good uh, to know. I'm in good company. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So no, I've been I've been fine. I've had an awesome week. How was yours? It's been good. I did not participate in the Zorn Fast. Um, I was in Quebec City with my daughters, or three quarters of my daughters anyway, and uh, wanted to partake of some of the local cuisine. So uh, I did not fast. Uh, I ate keto, and uh, you know, I, I, since we last talked, I probably put on a couple of pounds, but I'm not too worried about it. It's just you know, I'm just not living by the scale these days. So yeah, I have, uh, I, I feel great. I'm loving life. I didn't get to exercise this week, which I'm really kind of disappointed about, but I'm still feeling the need to do that. And, uh, I, you know, I've been going for walks and stuff. Of course, walked all over Quebec, but uh, nothing, you know, concentrated. Yeah. But I do plan to get on my, my tricycle. <laughs> Here very oh, soon. Your, your recumbent bike. My recumbent three-wheeler. Yeah, yep. Nice. And uh, I'll take a picture of that and post it once I get on it. I'm really looking forward to Outstanding. it. Outstanding. So just to reprise, what is a ketogenic diet? Tell us, Richard. Okay. So a ketogenic diet is, is eating very little carbohydrate, yep. eating just enough protein to keep your body managed and getting all of your energy pretty much from fat. Now that fat might be fat that you've just eaten or fat that you ate a decade ago, and right. you stored for later on. So as we like to say here, it's that Krispy Kreme that I ate a decade ago. Right. So the magic happens when you lower carbohydrates to the point where your insulin lowers. Yes. And therefore, that's a signal to your body, the, to your liver especially, to start burning uh, liver fat and visceral fat and then body fat all over 
to, to draw down energy. Yeah. And that magic only happens when you lower carbohydrates. And when you lower carbohydrates, you have to replace it with something. Eating too much protein isn't all that good for you. So fat is the next macronutrient in line. And it yeah. just turns out to be a miracle for just many ailments. And the second advantage is when you lower your insulin, all of your fat cells are willing to give up their fat and release it for everybody else to use. So mm -hmm. in your body, when you lower your insulin... In your body, it's party time because you have an excess of energy. And this is why when a lot of people lower their carbohydrate intake, all of a sudden they don't feel hungry. And in my case, I've been not eating now for six days. Yeah. And I'm feeling quite fine. You know, I'm not feeling particularly hungry at all. Yeah. The longer I go, the less hungry I feel. Um, it's outstanding. But I still have maybe 30 pounds of body fat that I need to to lose so right we also want to mention that you shouldn't be scared of all this fasting talk that you see you hear on our podcast and you see in our facebook group yeah um fasting is a sort of a natural stage of uh the ketogenic diet that happens maybe four to six weeks after you become fat adapted you can think about fasting and normally what happens is you'll go ketogenic and eat as much as you want, and you're probably going to eat less because you won't be so hungry. Yeah. And you'll get to a point where you'll plateau out. And we found that uh, doing a day-to-day -day intermittent fast followed by a occasional extended fast for three or more days uh, is just the ticket to make your insulin even lower and uh, go to the next level. But we don't recommend that for people who are just starting. No. We don't recommend fasting. And children should never fast. Right. Yeah, they don't need to. Well, that brings us to the most fun part of our show, which is called Mail! Mail! Oh, that was a good one. I like that one. Mail! All right. Well, I'll start with the first one on uh, the Mad as Hell show, which we interviewed Ivor Cummins on a couple of weeks ago. Um, my recipe was actually Brenda Zorn's amazing coconut flour cheddar drop biscuits, right? Right. Yeah. That was my recipe. And so Ernest posted a couple of pictures because he made them and he posted them on our on our website, 2KetoDudes.com on the show Mad as Hell. And he first started by making coconut flour drop biscuit and said, game changer, liverwurst sandwich, Dude. which really <laughs> looks great. And you know what? Yeah. I'm not a fan of liverwurst. I, I just, I can't eat liver. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not so much a fan of liverwurst, but I remember getting to like it. And I'm actually thinking I might include that in my diet quite a bit now after interviewing Nina and oh, she loved her it, telling yeah. us yeah. liver is probably the most nutritious meat you can eat. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, and then Ernest goes on to say, after a few tweaks, I finally found a burger bun worth the little effort using the coconut drop biscuit as a base. And oh. he published a picture of his hamburger bun, which looks absolutely great. And then he posted another one. He says, so I'm a foodie. I wanted these to rise majestically for better sandwiches. So I made a second batch and added cream of tartar mm. to the baking soda. Win. And now he shows these puffed up, fluffy biscuit muffins that just look amazing. Wow. And did he post a recipe? 
no. <laughs> so we, we've asked him to do so. And uh, yeah, we'll include that in the notes. So thank you, Ernest. Yeah, thanks. That's a, I'm going to have to try that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So I've got a message here from Dave Feldman, who uh, is on our Facebook group. And uh, if you don't know Dave, he makes the blog cholesterolcode.com. And he yeah. he has uh, found some very interesting things in his uh, in his cholesterol. And I suggest we should probably talk to him one day. I agree. But he made a post in our group. And if you ever want to go to our group, it's fb.2keto.com. And his, right. his post was, Uber props to Carl and Richard. I regularly visit many groups and forums related to low-carbon keto, but this is the one I find I enjoy browsing the most. Hmm. It's like a pub at the end of the street where everybody's both talking about what you like while also being generally great people. Who would have thought it was something born out of a podcast? Wow. Which, thank you very much, Dave. It's a very nice of you to say that. Uh, I don't like really blowing my own trumpet, um, but we have spent a lot of effort in this group to, uh, to build a resource for people who are new to what is actually a very challenging diet. Mm. Um, it's very confusing when you've got all information coming from all over the place. Um, and so we wanted to make a, a group where people could provide support to each other. Uh, we have uh, four great uh, mods who help us run this group, uh, Brenda, Tom, Kim, and Emmeline, and, of course, Nikisha, uh, who does all of our social media work. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to thank them you know, for, for helping us keep this group going. Also, one thing that we really try to do is make it a welcoming place. There are so many people who have been shamed out of different groups because they posted something that wasn't popular or they, you know, posted their their you know, their cheat days and are looking for sympathy or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not us, no, you know, no. just, you, we all know why we're here. We all know that we all have the same goal Yeah. and, uh, sometimes we fall down and that's okay. We only have two dogmas. The first is show me the science yep. and the second is try it for yourself. Yep. And, uh, really those are the only two dogmas that we have in the group. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Richard, we have a very special guest today. As you know, Dr. Ted Nyman is a board-certified family medicine physician practicing in Seattle, Washington, who's devoted much of his career to the study of diet and exercise and their relationship to health. He's used these diet and exercise techniques to treat thousands of patients. Please welcome Dr. Ted Nyman. Hi, Ted. How are you doing? Hi, I'm spectacular. How are you, gentlemen? <laughs> Fantastic. Good, thanks, Ted. Sorry to wake you up so early in the morning. Oh, no, no, my pleasure. I uh, was introduced to you and your YouTube videos by Richard, who I guess, uh, Richard, you were inspired by Ted long time ago when yeah, you were starting. way back when, yeah. I was, I've been on a ketogenic diet for two and a half years, and when I first started, I was really quite sick, and I've lost about 70 pounds, and in the early days... There was a lot of content on YouTube from people like Tim Noakes and Eric Westman, and they all had books, and they're all part of the the low carb bandwagon. And that's all well and good, but there was a couple of GPs, primary care pra practitioners like yourself, who were doing things on YouTube. Yeah, you guys weren't in the inner circle. You were you were just com you were coming to it from the science and saying this makes sense. And here's what I'm doing with my my patients. And I'm thinking people like yourself, Gary Fetke, um, Troy Stapledon, 
a whole bunch, and a lot of them actually had diabetes themselves, or it actually had a personal reason to to come to this, um, to to come to the low carb uh, way of doing things. But uh, I'm curious, sort of, uh, I think your first presentations were like on a piece on it with some markers on a piece of butcher's paper it was behind, great. on the back wall of your office. It was outstanding. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what it was. The production values for that video. We're hovering around $1, pretty much. It was sad. <laughs> For the market. I was definitely not in the inner circle, as you as you put it. it. And that did come across. And I actually think that might have been part of the charm for some people, like, like you say. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty much saved my life and uh, got me on the plan. I mean, it, people like Noakes and Finney and what have you had a lot of uh, good content. But, you know, it was it was hearing from people who had no reason to to make things up, literally, you know. I still show that video to people who don't mm. understand th simple things like that uh, whole grains have more of an impact on your blood sugar than sh table sugar does. Oh, well, that's that's good. That's great. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I I gave the same message to so many patients so many times. I was like, wow, I have to I have to do this once and just record it. <laughs> right. So that you did it for your patients. So instead of giving right. a lecture in the office, say, here, watch this video. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So what got you first interested in the low carb approach versus the low fat approach? So many doctors and we'll we'll talk about what's wrong with doctors, but uh, so many doctors just don't go there. Wow. Okay. So. Uh, this goes way back to my intern year. Uh, I'm in South Carolina, and this is almost 20 years ago. And at the time, South Carolina was the number one state in the U.S. for everything bad you could think of, obesity, diabetes, mm -hmm. heart disease, strokes, like literally everything bad we had the most. And I just had scores of, you know, morbidly obese diabetics, and they're just getting sicker and sicker, more and more insulin, dialysis, eye damage, kidney damage. People are just, you know, it's just suffering as far as the eye can see. And I run this clinic with all these patients who are just getting worse and worse. And one day some guy comes in there and he's like, hey, um, I lost 30 pounds. I feel great. And his diabetes was just basically gone. And this blew me away. And I I was like, you know, you have to tell me exactly what you did here. Uh, I have to know, you know, what's your secret? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I just read this, this Dr. Atkins book. And he shows me the copy of this book. And he's like, yeah, I just stopped eating carbs. And, you know, this this is great. And I, I never saw that guy again. But, uh, but from that moment on, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could actually do that. I mean, this just blew my mind completely. You'd heard of Atkins, obviously, and that people were using it for weight loss. And and I still get questions, you know, this is like Atkins, but safer, right? Like there's already a built-in notion that Atkins isn't safe. And so, so you well, had heard of it, obviously. I, I had heard of it. And it, in fact, I just assumed it was just dangerously awful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went to Loma Linda University for medical school, which is this famous... Um, Adventist vegetarian Mecca blue zone where nobody eats any meat and you just yeah. you can just feel the cholesterol and animal products clogging your arteries right yeah. this is just a suit and so I just never even thought I thought anyone who would go on an Atkins diet you you know you might as well just start um, snorting cocaine to lose weight it's pretty much the same thing for your health so I just thought that was the dumbest thing ever and then <laughs> 
and then when this guy actually did it, that was kind of my first exposure. And I was like, well, that's, wait a minute, that actually seems kind of good. And then I told my instructors about it. I said, hey, look, this guy just lost 30 pounds and reversed his diabetes by reading this book and, and going on a low carb diet. And they were like, okay, um, what happened to his total cholesterol? Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, I don't know. Good point. So I looked it up and sure enough, yeah, his total cholesterol went up like 10 points yep. and they were like, oh, great name. And you, you know, he's probably dead in the parking lot of a heart attack right now. <laughs> uh, you absolutely cannot recommend this diet for anyone because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I was, you know, I, I went with that for a while, but it just didn't sit right with me. It's like, okay, this guy, he looks great. He feels great. His diabetes is gone. His blood pressure is down. His triglycerides are down. His HDLs up. His waist circumference is down. His body fat's down. Everything you can measure is better, but that somehow this is bad because his total cholesterol went up, and it just didn't really, just didn't feel right, you know. And I just yeah. started researching from there. So interesting story about Loma Linda University. I actually lived in Loma Linda. In oh, the, right on. We 90s. were probably neighbors. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the avenue, but it was it was just blocks away from the university. And I was working in a software company in over there. And actually, the dean of uh, or the ex dean of Loma Linda University had started this medical software company, and I was working for him. And one of the guys uh, who was also my manager, or one of my managers, I think, he was also embedded in that culture. And we all tried Atkins together. And this is around 94, I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, 94, 95. We all tried it together. And he gave it up because it made him feel terrible. And so right. we now know that there's this carb withdrawal that happens that uh, sort of knocks you out and makes you feel like you are don't have enough energy. You got to nap all the time. and. And therefore, people assume, oh, it must be all that fat circulating in my blood, clogging my mm -hmm. arteries and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah, I can feel it. Yeah. So, um, and, and speaking of cocaine, because you said that and I didn't, uh, the, there was a great uh, uh, meme going around that I, I know you responded to. Somebody posted this picture of uh, the sugar you know, industry is now marketing sugar. And it, there's a picture of uh, a young girl, a teenager probably, with a curling iron. And it says, sugar has only 15 calories in a teaspoon, about the amount you spend in seven minutes styling your your hair. And <laughs> Jason Fung replied, yeah. <laughs> he sent it to you. Hey, did you know Peruvian flake cocaine only has 0. <laughs> .006 calories per gram? Less than 30 seconds of hair styling. Yep. That was awesome. That was brilliant. <laughs> Oh, I love that guy. So I have a, a real question. Maybe you can answer it. If it's too early in the morning, I do apologize. But something that's been gnawing at me, and it's just logic. So, you know, on the ketogenic diet, everybody says, if you're hungry, eat fat. And, you know, the whole idea of protein, too much protein, not enough protein, depends on what you're doing. Uh, pr protein gets recycled. You don't have to have so much uh, or you need more. You're going to die. You know, this whole protein issue is not agreed on by experts. That's true. Yeah, it seems like there's a dark shadow in the force, <laughs> you know, that we don't understand. Something is clouding our vision here. And so I thought about this when we did the hunger show last week. We know the difference between 
hunger and carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms, which, you know, or carbohydrate syndrome, which is, you know, you see carbohydrates, uh, a sugar or something that's going to give you fast energy from carbohydrates. Or compensatory hyper, uh, compensatory hyperglycemia. Yes. You're you, you overcorrecting and forcing you to Correct. get low blood sugar. And, 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 you know, at that point, you've got to go get yourself a Snickers bar stat. Right. We uh, understand the difference that. between that and hunger that you feel when you're fat adapted. But when you're fat adapted, what that means is that you're supposedly able to draw on your body fat when your body needs fat. Like your liver says, I need some energy. I can go draw on my body fat and need it. So when you're fat adapted and you're hungry, what is that a signal for exactly? Because obviously the body is wanting something. And if it can get fat from your body fat, if you're a guy like me, 300 pounds or whatever, and plenty of body fat, fat adapted, happy, 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 and you get hungry, is it a micronutrient that you uh, need at that time that you're not getting from body fat? Is it protein that you haven't had in a while that you cannot reclaim? Like, what is that signal exactly? Okay, so you're saying if you're fat adapted, but you're still hungry, even though you have more fat left to burn, why are you hungry? Right. Okay, yeah, that's... That's definitely leptin, all right? So what's going on here is every fat cell in your body has one job, and that is to be filled with fat so it can save your life during the winter time, mm. right? There's going to be a period of time where you're going to have no access to food, and every fat cell, its job is to be filled with fat. And when you're in any sort of weight-reduced state, if you were fatter and now you're thinner, you're walking around with a bunch of deflated adipocytes and none of them are happy. Their, their one job is to be filled with fat, to keep your ass alive, right? Okay. And they want you to eat more so they get filled back up again. And it's really rough to, to walk around in a highly weight reduced status. That's almost impossible. I mean, this is why all these biggest loser people gain all their weight back. Yeah. The fact is, that when you walk around in a weight-reduced status, your leptin level sucks, and that's very painful, and you're hungry all the time. And honestly, the only your only hope of maintaining that is to have really low insulin levels and maximize your leptin sensitivity. And that's the secret to ketogenic dieting. It, it keeps your insulin super low which makes you the very most leptin sensitive, which is the only hope you have of walking around in a weight reduced status without just eating everything you see. You right. know what I mean? So you're, you're talking about leptin and leptin sensitivity. But I'm also talking about being fat adapted uh -huh. where you are, where your insulin is low. So you do hear that receptor and then you get hungry is it uh, you know I, i'm having a hard time understanding what am i hungry for i'm uh, hungry for do i need to take a multivitamin do i do i need to eat some coconut oil or a piece of bacon or do i need to eat some shrimp well well i'm you know i'm still saying that you're the reason you're going to be hungry is because you're you're walking around with a bunch of deflated fat cells and that's just going to make you hungrier all the time no matter how fat adapted you are whether you're fat adapted or not okay that's just really 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 hard okay yeah i've got to, i've got to admit I, the ketogenic diet brought my insulin down but not a lot mine came down to about uh, 20 uh milli units per per liter which is really nowhere near 
where nowhere near the point where it would I would start having a large amount of uh, lipolysis happening. So, um, what I found about that was about four four months ago. Every three months, I get get a blood draw. I go to my doctor and and do a checkup. And uh, over the past four months, what I added into my program was I was doing a seventy two hour fast once a month, just one day a month. I do a seventy two hour fast. And my fasting insulin levels dropped to 13, and my HOMA IR went from 47 down to two, uh, 4.7 down to 2.9. So that was a significant drop. So I, I think for me, for my body, the ketogenic diet really didn't quite get my insulin low enough to be able to to get a lot of these advantages. So um, I'd be curious if that. Uh, I'd be curious what you think about that. Well, okay, honestly. I think ketogenic diet will get you so far, but there's definitely a few other things you have to do to maximize your results. Number one, nutrient density. I mean, it's all about nutrient density. You can't eat any empty calories. Like if any of your calories are coming from, you know, just coconut oil or something that that has no nutrient density, um, you're definitely not going to get optimal results. So you, you have to start playing this game where every single thing you eat has better be some sort of micronutrient superfood. So you absolutely maximize your nutrient density. Um, that's one of them. The other one is exercise. Okay. So let's say, let's say you're, you have one mitochondria in your entire body. Now it's super fat adapted, right? It's like the most fat adapted mitochondria the world has ever seen. But if you've got one, your metabolism is just this dirt road. Um, and you're never going to burn any amount of energy and you're never going to draw down your fat stores and you're never going to improve your insulin levels. So you got to, you know, go out there and, and do some sort of, you know, push-ups to failure. And then all of a sudden, oh, dang, you've got two mitochondria. And then you do that again. And now you've got four. And eventually your metabolism's like a 20-lane superhighway. And uh, then you're Michael Phelps and you eat 12,000 calories of just crap every day. You don't even care. And this, yeah. is, the, this is why exercise is – you know, absolutely crucial. You have to do maximum effort exercise for mitochondrial biogenesis or your metabolism is just going to suck no matter how fat adapted you are. And a lot of people aren't really talking about this in the keto community, but this, this is why all the bros out there who are working out just eat, you know, 500 grams of carbs a day and they think we're stupid. You know what I mean? They're like, they're like, Oh, car you know, carbs are fine. I eat tons of carbs. So exercise is this huge component that if you want maximum results, you absolutely have to be doing. And it has nothing to do with calories in, calories yeah. out. Nah. That's completely busted. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's I'd, all about your mitochondria. Yeah. I I did for 10 years, uh, I, I went, worked out with a personal trainer four times a week and was doing high intensity uh, interval training plus lifting uh, so I was putting a fair amount of exercise in on my body, but in that time, my diabetes was getting worse. And, and there are a lot of confounding factors, like I was on statin therapy, um, I was eating the Diabetes Australia-approved diets. You know, there's a lot of reasons why my diabetes was getting worse. But uh, even still, you know, I was probably um, doing a lot more exercise than somebody who was 50, but 
you know, that uh, now these days now I don't lift with weights anymore. I just use bodyweight exercises um, and I do uh, endurance cycling. I, I do like uh, like tomorrow I'll do four hours at 25 kilometres an hour, so about 100K on a bike just because just I feel like it. So you're a big proponent, uh, Ted, of body weight exercise. In other yeah. words, you don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to use a lot of expensive equipment. Just use your own, you know, use gravity to your advantage, right? Right, right. Yeah. I just really want to democratize the exercise thing. You know what I mean? I've got so many patients who they don't have time. You know, they're working two jobs. They don't have a lot of money. They they can't afford, um, you know, a personal trainer and a gym membership and a bunch of supplements. And, sure. and I'm like, okay, how can you do this with the absolute bare minimum of money and time? And, you know, what does that look like? And so the, I'm really into the minimum effective dose on exercise and how to do it just basically for free with the least amount of time possible because that's you know that's that's what my patients need a lot of them anyway and you have uh, some videos and things that we can link to that shows us how to do stuff like that i mean it seems like a no-brainer you just basically use your own body weight to develop your various muscles and and whole I'm, i've seen people you know holding logs and stuff you know, in a curling position until they can't hold it anymore, that kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm basically doing, you know, just push, pull and squat movements to failure. And um, everybody thinks you can't make those hard enough to get progressive resistance. Mm. And I'd like to see these people do a one arm chin up and a one arm push up and a <laughs> one leg squat and then come back and we'll talk about it. <laughs> So, Carl's, uh, I think you're, what, five months into your keto program, and yeah. he's just getting to the point where his body's telling him he's, he, that he wants to do some exercise. So, yep. he's probably, he's your ideal candidate yeah. for, you know, I've been on the ketogenic diet, I've lost some weight, and now my body is telling me to go out and do something with this energy that I've got. Mm. Uh, so, so what would you suggest for him for, for you know, what, what kind of uh, program would you suggest, pardon me, Carl, but a naive um, uh, exerciser? Well, okay. So I'm actually a big fan of this book called Convict Conditioning, mm. which uh, basically tells you how to work out your whole body with just body weight movements only. And it steps you through. Uh, you know, you have to do some sort of horizontal pushing movement like a push up and it just steps you through this whole, um, you know, OK, you can't do a push up. You start with a wall push up. Then you go to a push up on like a couch or something slightly inclined. Then you do a flat push up. Um, when that's too easy, you elevate your legs. And when that's too easy, you do one arm. And when that's too easy, you do a handstand push ups and then you do one arm handstand push. You just make it infinitely more difficult. But you wow. start with this wall push up that anybody can do and that that's what you do you just progressively make the exercises harder with leverage um it's uh you know i talk about it a little bit on my website i'm a huge fan of this convict conditioning book uh but the idea is you have to do these basic push pull and squat movements and you just start out with something really easy and then you gradually increase the leverage and make it more and more difficult to get that progressive overload um, but, but that's where I would start. Your average person just needs a, uh, uh, you know, horizontal and vertical pushing movement, a horizontal and vertical pulling movement, and then some sort of compound leg movement like a squat. So basically you do push-ups, pull-ups, uh, squats, and you do those to failure. 
And if it's too hard, you make it easier with leverage. And it, as you go, as you progress, you go to one arm and one leg exercise, which is insanely difficult. Uh, I'm yeah. also a big fan of suspension training. So on my website, I, I tell people how to do pretty much the whole gradient of super easy to super hard with a, like a TRX style suspension right. trainer thing. Yeah. I use those quite a fair bit. They were very useful. I, I had, uh, I had problems with one of my shoulders, a rotator cuff injury and, and, and my trainer had me using those for, to, to get, to get, to get to stabilize myself and, and to get, I mean, they're really good through the abdominals. And, and so stuff, I've never so, yeah. heard of that. Can you explain what it is? Um, it's, it's something that you hang from, uh, the ceiling or a bar. So it's basically just two straps with handles on them hanging down from the ceiling and you can do a pull up on them or you can lay on your back and do a row from them. It's just a way to do a pulling exercise. Basically, if you don't have a pull up bar or that sort of thing. Very cool. All right. So now let's talk about the important stuff. When are we going to jam? Exactly. I don't know. I've heard some of your stuff and it's, it's pretty amazing. So oh, this you. needs to happen. Where's this? Uh, where's the keto? Where's the low carb uh, band? Let's get this rolling. Absolutely. I think we could take popular songs and just rewrite the words to, you know, have meat references and things like that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. You need to be writing theme song to keto and we need to be recording that like right away. Yeah. Um. So we need a drummer, though. You play bass. I play guitar. Uh, Eric Westman plays guitar. You know, and I sing, so we need a drummer. Um, I can play drums. Not I, Bass is my forte, but I could play good enough to make something happen. Wow, maybe. interesting. Yeah. I mean, but, I could play bass if Westman wanted to play guitar. So there's a three-piece. We could yeah, do that. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> we get this going by Keto Fest next year, which um, I, I don't know if you heard about this, but we're turning an entire town keto in July of 2017. Yeah. We are going to have speakers. Um, let's see. Who do we have? Ivor Cummins and Jeffrey Gerber are coming. Um, Nina expressed interest in it, but we'll have to connect with her later. Uh, Megan Ramos from Jason Fung's uh, um, facility, she's coming. And uh, Eric Westman said he might want to come. So we, we have some speakers, but also... Fe- you know, festival type stuff. Festivals are for people. So we have parties and pig roast and uh, all the restaurants are having in, in town that are walking distance are having keto meals featured. We're going to have cooking lessons. Uh, we're going to have training lessons. It's going to be fun. We've got the mayor involved. The mayor's, the mayor's agreed to turn the whole town keto for the weekend. And we've got the local movie theater has uh, yeah. agreed to uh, host activities. So Yeah, we'll show yeah. show movies there. So I hope you can make that. We'll we'll talk about that offline. Oh, this sounds awesome. So I'm I'm excited. Very cool. Uh is there any other things that you wanted to talk about, Ted? This is a platform for you as much as us. Yeah. You know, okay, so I do have a little bit of a, a problem with some of the people in the com- in the community who are who are advocating, you know, extreme protein restriction. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure if I've I'm not sure if I've seen any benefit to this in the real world. And in fact, I, I frequently see the opposite in the real world. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure where. I'm not sure where we're headed on the protein thing. There are a lot of people restricting protein. I mean, I I love 
Um, you know, I, I love all these people, but I'm not sure if extreme protein restriction is really going to get the masses where they need to be with low carb. You know, it what I seems mean? to me that it's the active people, the exercisers, the weightlifters that seem to need or or take more protein than, you know, people like me who are just losing weight without exercising. I that that makes a lot of sense. I would totally buy that. There's probably something huge there that yeah, I'm sure you're right. There's a bunch of people like Ron Ray Rosedale and Peter Atia who are uh, uh to, you know talking about a really really low ends uh, low ends of the spectrum and then uh, Finney and Volek were like between 1 and 1.5 and grams per kilogram lean body mass and then there's some people who say you know up to 3 grams but eat as much protein as you can fit in your gob you know uh, so there's 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 a real broad range of it of of opinion there and what I know from the time when I did Atkins back in 2004 was that I after about a year? I mean, that I'd just been diagnosed with prediabetes, and that was my reaction to try and get myself out of that hole. And I went off that after about two years because I was just feeling sick all the time. And part of that, I believe, has to do with the fact that back then I was eating as much protein as I could eat, you know, because I knew, you know, on Atkins you could eat a lot of protein. I must admit, I felt a lot better on a ketogenic diet when I limited protein to just what my body needed for maintenance. Uh, but that's just that's just my you know I I but you I'm, weren't severely restricting protein either. I mean, you were still eating a hundred grams a day or whatever. Yeah, I'm eating I'm eating one gram per kilo of lean body mass currently. Right, right, and and I don't know what the answer is at all. Uh, I just you know I try to look at it through sort of an evolutionary lens, and I'm like, okay, what 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 would what would we be eating? What should we be eating? And you look at all these foods that are kind of equal grams fat and protein you know your 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 red meat your eggs your um the, these foods that you know we would probably be eating and th this basically boils down to you, most people eating you know okay maybe point point eight to one grams per pound of lean mass so you know 100 120 grams a day and and that that's pretty much what i'm eating about 120 grams of protein a day and I, I, I hear people like Atia and Rosedale, and I love these guys. I totally worship yeah, you guys these guys. Are all friends. These guys yeah. are brilliant. But I'm like, wow, if I shave my protein down to 60 grams a day, you know, am I really going to benefit from that? Am I really going to live longer? You know what the average, you know how many grams of protein the average American eats a day? Mm. It's 80 grams of protein mm. a day. So the average American eats 80 grams of protein a day, 80 grams of fat a day, and 266 grams of carbs a day, yeah. 120 of which are sugar. So we're already doing protein restriction, right? I mean, yeah. people aren't eating that much protein. I mean, it's not like going from 80 grams of protein a day to 60 grams is going to do you any good at all hmm. if you're on a standard American diet. So I don't know. I, I just uh, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that I really don't want to get to the end of my life with my extreme protein restriction and, you know, like absolutely no muscle mass 
and realize, oh, wait, there's a reason why the stronger you are, the longer you're going to live. And the more lean mass you have, the longer you're going to live in all these studies. And, you know, is it really worth it to restrict my protein um, from the 80 grams a day the average American eats down to, you know, 60 grams? I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me. Like, okay, I'm going to go out of my way to eat concentrated refined fats like coconut oil and butter just so I can shave my protein down even mm -hmm. lower than the average American with their low protein diet. I mean, so, something about that just doesn't really feel right to me. You when know? you read those numbers, it seems to me that, you know, uh, what, 80 grams of protein, 80 grams of fat seems like sensible to me. And I think that even when you are carb addicted, you maybe, and this is my theory here, and I'm just throwing this out there because what do I know? I'm a programmer, right? Maybe that this is homeostasis for protein and fat. Maybe this is how much your body wants. And it's the sugar and the carbohydrates that we're addicted to that we're overeating. So, Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. So maybe we're just eating and naturally eating enough protein for the body to get the protein it wants. Maybe because that signal isn't cloudy, whereas the signal for carbohydrates is completely whack. Oh yeah, I'm sure you're right. That that definitely sounds 100% right to me. That's got it. That's got to be how it works. It, we've got to come down to hunger being the appropriate mechanism for for fueling ourselves. You know, we we really uh, we I, I don't want to get to, to. I'm 50 now. I don't want to be here in 30 years time analyzing how many macros I've eaten for the day. <laughs> you know, I just want to I just want to eat when I'm hungry and stop eating when I'm full. And you know, so that's uh, so we've got to get to the point and. My attitude is if I can keep carbohydrates out of my diet, a lot of these other signals all start working for me. So Absolutely. You're totally right. I, and I, the other thing I try to do with patients in the real world is make it as incredibly easy as possible. Like mm -hmm. nobody's counting anything. You right. know, it's just like target protein uh, with fat in it, limit carbs the end it's yeah. just that i'm trying to make it i'm trying to dumb it down as much as i possibly can because right. that's the only way it's going to happen you know what i mean well first of all the people have to know the difference between a protein a fat and a carbohydrate and i find that a lot of people who just go through their life eating what they want to eat just still don't have any idea so there does have to be some education that's involved. true yeah that is true but I try to set the bar, you know, uh, yeah, as low as possible. really low, just to make it as accessible as possible. Right. Because, you know, that's who really needs to hear about all this yeah. stuff. What kind of compliance do you have? I mean, how many people that you give this message to do you think uh, go out and they, they achieve results? Oh, it, it, it's really, really high. And, and the reason for that is the minute people have some like really amazing success, um, they're hooked. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're in like, like, you know, none of these people will ever again, just start eating breakfast cereal and orange juice and right. toast. I mean, no way they, they feel so much better immediately and they lose so much weight immediately mm. that the buy-in is huge. Yeah. It's just convincing them to take that first step. I'm like, you know what? You're just going to eat nothing but eggs and bacon for the next two weeks. And yep. then you're going to come in and tell me how you feel. Yeah. And, and once they do that, they're just completely 
you know, You're the ahead. buy-in is really high. We have the same uh, experience here. Well, Ted, we're going to say goodbye to you now and uh, just want to thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts and all our listeners for, you know, spending a half an hour with us today. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all those videos you did two years ago that got me started so I could get Carl started so that we could try and get everybody else started. Right. Much appreciated. That is so great. My pleasure. We have a phrase here. Maybe you can use it with your patients. We're unfucking the world one deranged metabolism at a time. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to like stencil that on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you can thank Brenda Zorn for that one. Okay, I will. All right, we'll see you later, Ted. Thanks, All right, Ted. thanks. Heard you say y'all do for a little You know, I really hope we get that band together, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to... Uh, Pick up the uh, trombone again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Well, that brings us to recipes. 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 Gingivitis. <laughs> Gingivitis. What you got, Richard? Okay, I've got uh, a very simple recipe. Uh, I probably eat this maybe once a week, uh, every week pretty much. Uh, it's a go-to recipe, and it's basically cream spinach. And the way I make my cream spinach is I get a pan on the stove and I put a rasher of bacon in. Mm. Now, the reason that the bacon is going in there is to donate its, uh, its bacon fat. Giving up the fat. It's giving up the fat. And, but, <laughs> but what I do is I cook the bacon and then I take it out and I chop it up and I'm going to put it back in the spinach at the end. So there's a little bit right. of crispy sort of, uh, uh, textual yeah. element to the spinach. So, um, so I'm basically filling a pan with the fat from one rasher of bacon. While that's cooking and rendering that fat out, I chop up half an onion. Onions are a little bit carby, so I generally have half an onion between two people. Mm. I, I don't like to put too much onion in food. Me either. Uh, because it, it does have sugars in it. So um, so I have uh, half an onion. I chop it up, dice it up fine, and I toss it in on, on top of the bacon while that bacon's rendering down. So that onion will basically it'll cook down, it'll go sort of uh, see-through. Mm. And uh, then I, at the same time, I chop a bell pepper, or in Australia we call them capsicums. We, we have uh, Costco are, uh, are selling baby capsicums, which are delicious, absolutely delicious. Mm. But And they're very small amounts of very small amounts of capsicums. They're sort of about the size of a jalapeno, but yeah. but they are actually bell, bell peppers. Bell peppers, yeah. They're lovely. So, um, And it's just the right amount. So I chop one of that, dice one of those finely, and I put it in with the onions. And if there's not enough fat coming out of the bacon, maybe I might add a little bit of fat from my strategic fat reserve, which is uh, at the end of every meal where I make bacon, I tip all of that bacon grease into a ceramic jar by the side of my stove. And whenever I need to get a pan nice and, and oiled up, I just add a little bit of fat from that fat reserve. That's so, fantastic. So I'm basically, I, I want to make, I want to basically, um, I want to fry off these, uh, these vegetables. So, so then I add 30 grams or about an ounce of uh, Philadelphia cream cheese. It could be any cream cheese, but, mm. uh, and I dice it up into small pieces. And so basically I'm going to toss these little dices of cream cheese in on top of the onions and the capsicum that are, that are cooking down. Yeah. And what they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to soften and they're going to, uh, relax a little bit. And then I put yeah. maybe a, a tablespoon of chicken stock on top of that. Oh, man. And, then on top of that, I toss a wodge, about 100 grams of baby spinach. Yeah. Baby spinach leaves on top. And you don't have to cook spinach a lot. You can no. eat it raw if you want. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the leaves coated with the, with the Philadelphia, with the onions, with the, the 
the fatty flavour. Right. So once the uh, spinach has, has wilted down a little bit and it's fully coated with the oils and the onion and the Philadelphia, I take it off the stove and while it's still warm, I add about 30 mils of cream, pure I guess in America you'd call it heavy whipping cream, but yeah, heavy cream, heavy whipping cream, whatever. Yeah, we just call it pure cream, and yep. add about thirty mils of pure cream, and that's my cream spinach. And this I'm going to have on Sunday. I'm going. Uh, this is how I'm going to break my fast. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm in the middle of. I'm in, on day six of a seven day fast, and tomorrow I'm going to ride about a hundred k on my bike. And at the end of that, I'm going to put a little bit of something in my belly just to start my gu- my gut working again. So maybe a boiled egg, and I'm going to wait for about half an hour so that I don't have any refeeding syndrome. And then right. I'm going to have a Wagyu steak with cream cheese Ooh. and maybe butter cauliflower. I think that sounds like a good nice. meal. So that's that's how that it sounds. Great. And I'm gonna I'm gonna post I'm gonna post that uh, that meal on our Facebook. Yeah, you group. better. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So what have you got for us, Carl? All right. Well, in our Facebook group, again, fb.2keto.com, Tash posted this low-carb, high-fat cheesecake uh, Mm. recipe, and I looked at it, and it looked eerily similar to the last one that I made. Right. Uh, So I'm very confident that this recipe is as amazing as the last one that I made, because it's basically all the same ingredients. So it's posted on eatingfor-optimal-health.com, and that's with the number four. But we'll add a link to it. And it's simply called the best low-carb cheesecake. So let's start with the crust. Sure. You need one and a half cups of blanched almond flour. So I use Bob's Red Mill flour. That's the white blanched almond flour. Yep. Yeah. So it's got no fiber in it. It's just the white blanched almonds. Well, it's got yeah. fiber, but it doesn't have the skin fiber. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Correct. Uh, four tablespoons of butter melted and then four teaspoons. She says Truvia. I use, you know, uh, xylitol. Sure. You use whatever your favorite sweetener yeah. is. But uh, I believe both xylitol and Truvia are one to one teaspoon, tablespoon, whatever they are as sugar. So four teaspoons of a sugar substitute. So to make the crust, you preheat the oven to 375, okay. combine the almond flour and the sweetener and mix in the butter and press that into the bottom of a springform pan, which of course is perfect for cheesecakes. Yeah. You bake that for eight to 10 minutes or until lightly golden brown. You don't want to overcook it. Don't want to undercook it either. Then the filling, two pounds of cream cheese, that's four blocks at room temperature, one cup of, she says, Truvia again, 270 grams. I'm using xylitol. You use whatever you want. Yeah. A pinch of salt, two teaspoons of vanilla, four large eggs, two-thirds of a cup of sour cream, very important, Mm. and two-thirds of a cup of heavy whipping cream. Again, this is all just perfect ratios of cheesecake. Yeah. If you substituted sugar for any of this stuff, it would be cheesecake. Yeah, you know that's the only difference. So sour cream, I I've never I've never known sour cream is great in cheesecake. It sounds good. Oh yeah, yeah. it gives it that tang. Yeah, you know? nice that real tang. You know, yeah. and if you if you go Italian and get do the Italian cheesecake, you'll add some or you'll substitute some ricotta cheese, which is lighter, and right. and and a lemon zest. Yeah, which gives it a, a mm. even more. But you, and lemon zest is an option here as yeah. well. Yeah. It, it really just 
gives it, it brings out that lemony, tangy flavor. Nice. All I've right. got a lemon tree, so I need to make this cheesecake. I think I might be making this tomorrow for dessert. Of course you have a lemon tree. That's just awesome. Yeah. So you cut the cream cheese into chunks and place it in a bowl and electric mixer with the paddle attachment. Mm-hmm. Mix it on medium speed for four minutes or until smooth, soft, and creamy. And then you add your sweetener and beat that in for four more minutes. Some salt and vanilla, beating that in. Add the eggs one at a time. Beat for one minute after each egg. And add the sour cream at the end. And you're basically mixing all these ingredients together. And then you add the heavy cream and beat that until incorporated. So you scrape down the sides of the mixer bowl, basically... Put that in the springform pan, which now has your toasted uh, almond flour crust. Nice. So there's different ways to bake the cheesecake. Some people put it in uh, the, the springform pan in a uh, high-sided roasting pan with boiling water in it. Right. Just to evenly heat the cheesecake and make sure that it doesn't burn on the outsides and, and all of that. Uh, you can do that or you can just put the springform pan in. But uh, whichever it is for you, you cook it at 325 for one and a half hours. And then after an hour and a half, you turn off the heat. You crack open the door an inch and let it cool in the oven. So for another hour, you can let it cool in the oven. And gentle cooling helps prevent the cheesecake surface from cracking. Right. And then you can cover the top of it with foil so it doesn't actually touch the cheesecake and go right to the fridge for at least four hours, preferably overnight. And there you go. Wow. Nice. That sounds really good. I think I'm going to make this tomorrow. Uh, I'm probably not going to have very large slices because- Hey, I'm having a Wagyu steak tomorrow for dinner. Yeah. Uh, but I've not eaten for seven days, so I think I'm owed a little bit. So I'm absolutely. I'm, I'm going to make this. I'm going to uh, probably pre-slice it up, and uh, I may end up. Uh, I may end up trying to freeze actually, freeze slices of it because I don't think I want to eat it for every day for for a week. But I definitely, I definitely want to try this. That sounds good. Well, that's a show, Richard. That's awesome, Cal. Yeah, we'd like to thank Dr. Ted Naiman for coming by and talking to us. Yeah. And if, of course, you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. Or come by Facebook and see us, uh, fb.twoketo.com, and uh, we'll see you there. And you can also tweet us at... Two Keto Dudes. Follow us on Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Keep calm and keto you know the rest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time on Two, two keto, keto Dudes. dudes.